Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the People's Show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. If you want to be part of the show, 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you. In Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver, online at DunbarLumber.com. I'm Bick, behind the glass, Victor and Ben, hanging out with you today. Big fist pump from Ben. We got that good body language going this week on The People Show. Happy Good Friday to you. I was thinking over the weekend, uh, we need like an adult's Easter egg hunt. Can you do like... Those little bottles of liquor in in eggshells. Probably not in the office. Probably not in the office. Not but it. you know, there's there's adult Halloween. You just take the uh, cart around the neighborhood. And you're like, hey, I love it. Have a sip. Is 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 there adult hello or adult Easter egg hunts? You should start it. You heard the idea here first. There we go. Feel free to uh, trademark that. Uh, this one, you should do Confession Friday today. So the reason Confession Friday is slowed down is, look, we only got a one-hour show. We'll go back to longer shows during the summer. Confession Friday is coming back. There's been the demand, and I hope you have cataloged your confessions for the last seven months. But Confession Friday, I assure you, is coming back. And and actually, the OG Confession Friday guy, Randeep Janda, he's going to join us on this show uh, coming up in about five minutes here. Uh, also, Logan Gordon from our friends over at Sportsnet 960 going to join us as well. Flames reporter, host of Sportsnet Today, getting set for the Flames and Canucks tomorrow. And suddenly, these Calgary Flames have thrust themselves back into that player co- playoff conversation. Not that they were that far removed, but a couple of W's goes a long way. Big win for them last night. And... We are looking at, or uh, oh, sorry, on Wednesday, and we are looking at a uh, rather furious chase down for the wa- last wild card spot. Seattle Kraken confirmed their spot as well. Uh, we'll touch on that later on in the show as well. But I do want to start with the the sensation that has taken over the city. It is Hirose season. The Hirose hype is it out of control. Doesn't need to be tempered just a little bit. Last night in the postgame show, I didn't even think we said anything too, too controversial. It was, you know, it felt like Akito Hirose, for where he is in the organizational depth chart, feels like he's above someone like Jack Rathbone right now. He's getting a lot of minutes. And yeah, look, it's not as intense of hockey right now. And there's contractual factors in play here. Hirose just signing his deal. Part of it is getting an NHL game. Jack Rathbone was up on an emergency call-up. But the Hirose hype is real. He's played really well. He's impressed Rick Tockett and the coaching staff. He's getting a ton of minutes. They don't have to give him minutes. We've seen guys come up here that have been promised games, a Josh Tevez or a Brogan Rafferty. We've seen that happen. And he's getting minutes, and he's earning the plaudits from head coach Rick Tockett. And there was a lot of pushback last night. Said, hey, like it's small sample size. He's not going to be one of the lead pairs in Abbotsford next season. 
there's obvious improvement that has to happen on the left side of the defense. We, we all know about Oliver ekman Larson, but if, if you just did the depth chart hierarchy right now for the Vancouver Canucks, and let's just assume health, everyone's healthy, and season's on the line, and you got to dole out some minutes here. We know how it's going to go. It's Quinn Hughes, Oliver ekman Larson, Travis Dermott are your main three. Christian Willanda can step up, obviously, but this is where we talk about necessary improvement. They need to get another body in there, and then Owalanen can slide down, and Hirose can slide down. He's still probably fifth or sixth in the organizational depth chart. It's exciting. Don't get me right. Don't get me wrong. It's exciting, and another opportunity for another player to come to this organization and compete and continue to raise the bar. This is what you want. You want Hirose to compete with Jack Rathbone. Even if you disagree with that he's behind or ahead, they're competing to be in the same spot. And because you've had years to warm up to the idea of a Jack Rathbone, what matters most is how you do at the pro level. And right now, Hirose, in not necessarily highest tempo of games, the highest intensity of games, He's succeeding, and all you can do is succeed with the opportunity that you get. Kido Hirose running away with the opportunity right now. We'll get into it with Randeep Janda here in just a minute, color commentator for your Vancouver Canucks here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You can chime in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Your thoughts on what you saw last night from Akito Hirose or the rest of the Canucks as we got uh, just a handful of games to go. Less than a week. We're going to wake up next Friday. Season's going to be over. Goes by, uh, I want to say goes by fast, but uh, with the twisting and turning storylines that we had this season, uh, it's gone by pretty slow. (laughs) This season's been like four seasons in one. You had a coach let go, you had a captain traded, other trade rumors and injuries. it's, It's been a lot this season. Four games to go. Let's uh, connect with Randeep Janda, color commentator here on Sportsnet 650. Randeep, I, I know this will bring a smile to your face. Uh, there's a Confession Fridays hype already on a Friday here on the People Show. People, people are ready for it to come back. Love it, love it. So I, I got a confession my own as well. I was oh, having lunch okay. here, yeah. and uh, and I, I popped out of lunch to do this this chat with you. I wouldn't even call it an interview because this was not an interview. Yeah. But shouts is- to my guy Dane, who's a, a loyal 650 listener. Who's uh, having lunch here as well? So he wanted to say hello to the entire gang. Let's go, to Dane. Let's go. The people are on the street. Love it. And the Confession Friday. Come on now. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, we got to do this. At oh some yeah. Point in time, I... I, as, as, as soon as uh, I, I'll, I'll just say it. Like Confession Friday didn't go away. Like we we didn't kill it off like password or anything like that. You know what I mean? Um... Come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> the two of my things, man. <laughs> as long as I have one of them alive, that's oh, all. Oh yeah. Matters. Look, we're, we're gonna go to longer shows in the summer, and Confession Fridays is coming back in the summer. I can't wait. And and hopefully I, everyone's been writing down their confessions so the course of the year. Oh yeah. It's been a long year, man. It's been a long year. There's a lot of sins that have built up. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get into it. Uh, the Hirose hype. Uh, is it uh, getting to be too much? You know, last night we were talking about it on the show, and. No, I, I, I thought reasonable expectations were, hey, like, go compete for a pivotal role in, in the AHL for next season. Is that shortchanging it? Is that overdoing it? Uh, where do you stand on the Hirose hype right now? No, I think that's fair, right? Because when I look at this player, 
Um, a, we got to remember, he's not 18 years old. He's, you know, well into his 20s. This is a guy that's played at a collegiate level. It's not a pro level, I understand. But the biggest thing that I see in his game that impresses me is it's not necessarily like he dazzles offensively and you're saying, okay, wait a second, there's great offensive skill, but what does this matter for his the entirety of his game? Is it, is it a, a full you know, offensive and defensive effort that he's putting together? It's the decision-making that he has, right, where he's obviously got the ability to activate. He's obviously got the, the ability to, you know, um, you know, dazzle with his skating. We, we see that. That's a part of his repertoire. But, Vic, what impresses me most about this guy is that he's in a position to, more than anything, make the right decisions at the right time. He takes that extra second. So when I look at the way that he's able to make a play yesterday, for instance, Johnson Taves is right on him on the forecheck, you know, he shields the puck, he buys a second with the skating, and then he makes the right decision to make that pass behind the net, and boom, pressure gone. It's moments like that you're saying, yeah, this guy's going to be a pro, whether it's obviously at the AHL level, but I think he can compete for a spot on the NHL club. Doesn't mean he's going to get it, but come training camp, are we going to be talking about him? I think so. Yeah, the the, the poise factor for me is the thing that stands out too. It's It's... You know, sometimes when we talk about taking that extra second, maybe your decision gets delayed and you freeze a little bit and suddenly the pressure gets to you. But he's finding space to still make plays. That's the part that stands out for me. Like, he's not frozen in any part of this. And it's not only the defensive side of things. You know, we highlighted a couple. I think uh, Sat did a great job of isolating that play with Jesper Froden uh, against mm-hmm. Seattle. But even even throughout the, the first three games that he's played, um, even in the offensive zone where – he doesn't just rush a play. He doesn't just take a shot and it, you know, it hits a player in the shins and it's going back for a counterattack the other way. The ability to find the right shot, find the lane. So I think he's able to do that on both sides. And that's why if I'm a coach and puck management is so, so important in this league, something that Rick Tockett has mentioned about, hey, you can't give up the puck cheaply. You see a young player like that getting pucks through, not wasting opportunities and making the right play. It's moments like that in a game where a coach is saying, all right, didn't rush it, showed composure, and it's not going to cost your team. So I look at plays like that even in the offensive zone, and you're saying, no, this guy, this guy's going to make a coach think about him, whether you know, there are new additions to the team, which we expect to, there to be in the offseason, but you know, his, his ability to, to make the right decision on both ends of the ice is going to at least keep him in that conversation. How long do we do we explore this for the the idea of like the 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 intensity of the games aren't really there just yet? I was watching highlights and, and trying to catch up on some games uh, that happened yesterday across the league, and like it, it's getting down to it. Like the Panthers are balling out, Calgary's picking it up right now. Predators are, are super intense, and comparing that to what we've seen here the last couple of games for Vancouver and what we might see for these next couple of games as well, you know. How much is valid to extract what we're seeing right now? That's a valid point. You know, when you play a Chicago team that is obviously out of it, they've got Connor Bedard in their minds. They got the third best odds. Uh, they don't have much skill in their lineup. And, you know, shouts to some of those guys that were trying and they tested Thatcher Demko. But we know what the Chicago Blackhawks are all about. However, you know, let's not discount the games that this Canucks team and Akito Hirose played against mm-hmm. the Al Kraken. They obviously had something to play for. They're trying to clinch a playoff spot. The LA Kings were fighting for, you know, at that point, top spot in the Pacific. We know what happens over the next couple of nights. Uh, Edmonton wins. Vegas ends up winning some games. 
But when I look at, um, you know, those, especially if you're a young player like Hiroshi or Cole McWard, um, if you're playing a team like Calgary tomorrow night, uh, this is going to be a team that is desperate to win games. And so, yes, I understand this time of the year, we're very skeptical. We're in a situation where we're saying, hey, all right, what does this mean? But when I look at individual talents, you know, and, and the type of forecheck a, uh, a L.A. team can bring, the type of transition play a Seattle Kraken team can play, you know, really fast up the middle of the ice, I'm still looking at those individual efforts to say, all right, in those moments when this team bringing what they can test you, can you in those moments stand up? And I think for a couple of the young guys, Hirose for sure, he's a guy that, you know, especially because he does have a little bit more of a sample size than Cole McWard, you can start to say, all right, there's, it's not just one game. It's not just a, a game against a cellar dweller like Chicago. It's two other really good teams that are headed to the playoffs that have something to prove right now. In those games, he's featured pretty well. So I understand you take the grain of salt to a certain extent, but they are playing some good teams down the stretch here, and that matters, right? If you can handle that forecheck, if you can handle that heat. Yeah, and I think the thing I like too is – now we get like a very specific visual representation of a real battle in the organization, right, between him and Rathbone. And, and this is suddenly all about internal competition. There's been some, and, you know, like a Kraftsov comes in, but you see it's like, okay, there's certain roles that he's not going to fulfill. He's not going to jump over a Dakota Joshua. He's not going to leapfrog to Kuzmenko's level or something like that. And PDG, maybe that's what he's competing with. But th- this to me is like one of the truest – camp battles that we we already get a preview of and this is something that they have to permeate through the entire roster that this is what we're looking for we're going to bring people in and suddenly jobs are on the line here for sure and I, I think there's a couple of comments that Rick Tockett made about Jack Rathbone um, you know over the last few days and the first one was just about you know I asked him about uh, actually I think it was on Wednesday's practice if I'm not mistaken just about what Rathbone needs to do and, yeah, that composure on the puck. He's a, a guy that historically has been comfortable with the puck on his stick. Um, but Tockett mentioned himself that, hey, yeah, there's a couple of icings in that game where maybe he didn't look all that composed. So, you know, there's moments like that, and then you contrast that with what Hiroshi has been able to do in the first three games. Obviously, you're making those comparisons. And the other comment I would say is um, he was pretty open about saying, you know, Jack Rathbone has to have a big offseason. And he's got to impress in the first week of the training camp. And that's a very specific comment by a coach to say, yeah, when he comes here, he's got to impress us. So I think the, the fact that whether it's Hirose uh, versus Rathbone, that's going to be a camp battle. That's going to be a part of the conversation. They still are going to likely add other, you know, left shot D um, and ready-made NHLers. We've talked about Gavrikov. We've talked about others that might be able to step into that role. So it's not like this is going to be a, you're our number six defenseman and, you know, Rathbone versus Rose. But I think that is a conversation to have. Are you the extra? Are you the first call up? Uh, that's something to watch out for. But as of right now, I, I look at that and I look at that, you know, matchup uh, as one to watch out for already. Uh, and your point about Vitaly Kravtsov, I think right now with Kravtsov, it's more of you've been sitting on the outside for a while. Show me something that we can build upon for next year. So there's two levels, right? There's, Here's the measuring stick with Jack Rathlin and Hiroshi and then Kravtsov. Show me something so that we can build upon something. And, and I have some element of trust of it's put up or shut up time here at the end of the year. You're going to get a shot. 
show me what you can do. Show some consistency. Uh, on Kravstov, uh, again, he got bumped up today. Uh, impressions on what happened at practice and the opportunity presented with him. For sure. And listen, it comes from a, a better effort against, of course, Chicago. Five hits, scores a goal. Uh, a little bit of luck on that goal. But even before that goal, he was central. He was noticeable in a very good way, being aggressive, dropping Anders York, sorry, Bjork in that uh, game early on. He had another four hits in that game. And really, by far his best game because other games, he's had moments, but he hasn't been able to be as consistent. Now, I like this from Rick Tockett because it's essentially giving a young guy saying uh, an opportunity to say, hey, you're coming out of the press box. You, sh- you know, showed well, and we're going to give confidence in you right now to play next to a skilled guy. Continue that. There's a real lack of four checkers on that, you know, first line, and that's part of the reason that Bovillian and Kuzmenko have been bumped off that, you know, playing next to Elias Pettersson, you need somebody with speed, some physicality that can disrupt. And, and that's been a, a real problem for the Canucks uh, in the last little bit here where they haven't had that. So I like this. This is, you know, maybe a one-game experiment. It might be a, a one-period experiment. But the fact is that you're saying, young guy, you did, played well last time out, and we need a little bit more aggression and intensity. And at the very least, you're giving this player confidence heading into the offseason. But this is really up to Vitaly Kravtsov. It can last the rest of the way here, or it could last two shifts. This is going to be up to him to be consistent. And Vic, you know as well as I do, that's been a, a big knock mm-hmm. on Vitaly Kravtsov, where he hasn't been you know, able to string a, together, forget those games, even shifts, um, where he hasn't had that confidence or he hasn't had that effort that, that really leaves you, you know, wanting more, essentially. Uh, hey, by the way, missed opportunity at the end of uh, Rick Tockett's presser today when he said Kuzmenko's uh, a funny player. You could have just said, uh, funny how? Oh, it's, you know what? You know what? Right as we walked away, I said that to Bat. I was like, <laughs> I felt like saying funny how. I felt like pulling a... <laughs> as, as soon as it happened, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, Randy would have said it. Randy should have well, said I it. I was there. I was walking away. I was like, man, I, I wanted to hit him with it. <laughs> what, he amuses you? He's a clown? He amuses... <laughs> uh, I, I look... I legit, I legit would have like probably been just given the cold stare by Rick Tockett. Actually, uh, you know, we're going to talk about this. Uh, you mentioned the Kraken earlier. They uh, confirmed their playoff destiny yesterday. Now that they have something to actually stand upon, like a, a, an achievement as an organization, do should Vancouver fans take them more seriously as a rival, or is it still wait and see? I think you should take them more seriously as a rival now here in Vancouver uh, as Canucks fans because, listen, they're they're in the they're playing the type of hockey that you know Vancouver Canucks fans want to play. And I'm not saying you should be jealous. Obviously, I'm not saying Canucks fans should be jealous. But hey, one team made it to the promised land. Uh, the other team is striving to get there. So the staying power with the Kraken. I'll be honest with you. I think they've got some really good pieces with Beniers and Shane Wright. But next year, are they a team that could drop off? For sure, they could be that team as, you know, they've had a, a really good, strong year. But as far as that next-level rivalry, yeah, when one team makes it, they have bragging rights over you. Uh, Kraken fan, wherever they are in the Vancouver area, you know, we see them at the rinks. We haven't necessarily seen them in the community. Uh, but when you go to Seattle, when there's a game in October next year, uh, they have the ability to chirp. They have the ability to at least, starts the smack talk and say oh yeah you guys didn't play you know past april 13th last year so to me yeah i think it is time for canucks fans to take them more seriously because one team's going to the playoffs and the other one's not and as the great herm edwards said 
you play to win the game. You just don't play <laughs> to play it. So, to me, yeah, absolutely. Hey, pal, appreciate it as always. Uh, get back to lunch. All right. Thanks. It's our guy, Randeep Janda, color commentator here on Sportsnet 650 and also Hockey Night in Punjabi. Will you hear him? Uh, you'll see him there tomorrow as well. So I wanted to pitch that uh, by you guys. Uh, Seattle, Kraken, playoff team, officially. They got the X next to their name. They're going. They finally have something to say. And look, it matters more to them than it would to you. I get it. There's fans here saying, hey, rebuild, all this sort of stuff. But they finally have an achievement that they can throw at Canucks fans to say, we're in the playoffs, you're not. And maybe it's premature. Maybe they got to win around for it to really hit home. But do you now accept that the rivalry has started? No. Ben. I don't. Big no. N-O from Ben right out of the gate. It's just been a couple of years. Like, great, you got into the playoffs. But, like, at some point, the rivalry has to start. But the rivalry for me begins when you play somebody in the playoffs. That's why the matchup on Saturday, yeah, Calgary's been in the Canucks division forever. Mm-hmm. But there's significant playoff matchups throughout history that have dictated why that rivalry is still there and prevalent. I don't think the Canucks in Seattle are necessarily a, necessarily a rival just because they're close geographically. They're also There's a border in between them. Mm-hmm. You don't just run across... Seattle Kraken fans, <laughs> randomly. There was a lot of teal in that or uh, the arena last night. Just walking down downtown, though, you're not gonna have somebody. Yeah, be like, we made the playoffs and you didn't. I I was okay. So my my definition of fandom has changed a lot over the years. It used to be like ride or die with the team, all that sort of stuff, and whatever happens happens. As you get older, to me, I, I feel like fandom for me has all been about the community you create. So so who do you talk about? with the most about any sort of topic whether it's sports whatever so the the people you associate the most with i think it's more fun to be a team follow a team together for sure and in saying that it's because it's good conversation so the opposing of like a rival banter to me is big part of fandom and now that the seattle kraken can say something it's their first achievement they finally have a leg to stand on because regular season games don't really do it Tyler Myers hitting Matty Beniers is not something that sparks a rivalry. But now that there's a real achievement with some weight behind it, uh, will, will this finally give Kraken fans the, the chance to fire real barbs? But does their success necessarily constitute us? Like, we're, maybe we uh, Vancouver can be jealous that Hey, man, jealousy is an emotion. Jealousy is, and emotion sparks rivalries. Right. But I think rivalries are mainly built when it's your team going against somebody else and something happens. If that Tyler Myers hit happened in a playoff series, that sparks maybe maybe a rivalry and a response and then something happens in a long series. If it happens in December or January, you're going to forget about it pretty fast. Big, big claim by Ben there that uh, a Myers hit has happened in the playoffs. Massive. <laughs> Just massive. Uh, this one, uh, no rivalry yet. Seattle made the playoffs, but they paid $2 billion for that privilege. They better make the playoffs with the price tag. Uh, Jeff and Langley, they got a ton of stor- scoring depth and are a bigger team than the Canucks. We're not built for playoff hockey yet, uh, so I'm definitely jealous of their structure on this one. From Spartan, I agree with Ben. Solid take. It just hasn't been long enough to form any kind of rivalry that would keep me interested personally. Okay, so if they win around, 
It like it can the Kraken do anything this playoffs? Win a Stanley Cup. Okay, but... That's just pure jealousy then. Right. But it's not it has nothing to do with Vegas. So so Vancouver. hate will develop really fast. Right. But see, didn't people hate the Vegas Golden Knights pretty fast? I wouldn't say Vancouver hates Vegas though. I don't know. They look they got success early and suddenly Vegas became this big foil across the But do the Canucks league. fans have animosity? But look, there was a playoff series against Vegas. Yeah. I has that started animosity? That playoff series was so weird though. Like the Canucks had no business <laughs> going to game 7 really. Demko was just unbelievable. Yeah. I I just I saw the X go next to their name and look I because Seahawks and you follow a lot of Seattle people in the timeline. Yeah. And there was a lot of hype. And uh, not that any banter has started just yet because they're in their own euphoria of the celebration. But if it starts, how will Canucks fans respond? I think Canucks fans are very unique in the fact that in a big metropolitan city, there's one major sports team. Mm -hmm. So all eyes are always on the Canucks. Seattle has three. Yeah, there's also the element of, what are you going to say to me that I don't already say to myself? Right. Oh, haven't won a Stanley Cup in over 50 years? I say that in the mirror every single day. I wake up, listen to Jason <laughs> Bruff, and realize that once again. <laughs> uh, Bick Nazar, you hear from Ben. You got Victor as well running the show. On the other side, we'll talk to one of those rivals that we're talking about, uh, Logan Gordon from Calgary, Sportsnet 960. They're coming to town tomorrow, getting set for their big game, for semi-meaningless games for Vancouver, but... Big one for Calgary. Vancouver got a chance to play spoiler. What are the Flames looking like right now? They got that win against Winnipeg on Wednesday. Have they been sputtering? Is there a lot of confidence in the Flames even making it to the second season? We'll get into it with Logan. Plus, a Masters update from Ben. We'll get into uh, John Rom's fade. Draw or fade? Is it a... It's a fade. It's a fade. It's a cut. I I was trying to remember the left to right, right? Left to right. Yeah, okay. Uh, We'll get into that and also... A freaking tree fell down at Augusta. It's unbelievable. But nobody was hurt. But nobody was hurt. One of the scariest things you'll ever see. But no one was hurt. All coming up here, Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. It's the People's Show. Hey, big news, uh, actually, just breaking really recently here. UFC 289 coming to Vancouver. On June 10th. Be here before you even know it. Uh, at Rogers Arena. Dana White announcing it uh, earlier today on his Twitter. So as far as breaking news uh, and events that are going to be happening here in the summer, uh, that's going to be a marquee event. UFC 289, if you missed the news, coming to Rogers Arena. Getting ready for tomorrow against the Calgary Flames. It's Fan Appreciation Night as well tomorrow. You can get all the details over at the Canucks website. We're getting ready for the game. Myself, Satya Shah, will have a post-game show tomorrow. Batch and Brett Festerling will have the call, Riccio and Sat on your pregame show. But we'll set it up here with uh, Logan Gordon, who joins us from our friends over at Sportsnet 960. You can follow Logan online as well 
over at Fan960 Logan. I, I, I couldn't remember if it was Fan960 Gordon or Fan960 Logan, uh, but it's Fan960 Logan. Logan Gordon joining us here, Flames reporter and host of Sportsnet Today over at 960. How's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, spectacular. So what's the mood right now, like, in Calgary? Because it's been topsy-turvy for months. I talk to you often. Uh, but it's been topsy-turvy for months, and now here you are. Uh, games to go in the season, and there's a chance they get that big result on uh, Wednesday. What's the mood like? I say it's it's probably cautious optimism for those in Calgary right now. It's it's one of those hard ones, Bick, where the last you know three weeks of this team have been some of their better hockey. But anytime you finish up a season series, o two and one to the Chicago Blackhawks, and actually wind up spoiling their chances of getting a generational player more than they spoil your chances of going to the Stanley Cup playoffs, it, it becomes a bit conflicting. Wednesday was a great opportunity for this team and. They absolutely needed those two points. It was, without a doubt, their most important game. But it's hard to believe when your team has such an up-and-down week with wins against Winnipeg and a loss against Chicago all mixed in 48 hours. So that stretch that you're talking about, that they've played some of their best hockey, and, and here recently, like it is six wins in their last eight. Some of these were really close games. Is this they were playing solid hockey and it just happened to be a close game, or was it nervy hockey and they just eked out a one-goal win? It's a mix, to be honest, Bick, because every game it feels like this year has been a one-goal game. They lead the league in almost every category when it comes to games that end in one-goal mm-hmm. results, and unfortunately, most of those have been one-goal losses. So it's really just turned the narrative, I guess, the last couple of weeks that they've been able to turn, as you guys know, a game against Vancouver, a game against Anaheim into a couple of these one-goal results in their favor because – most of the year, if it's been a one-goal game, it's been a Calgary loss. So it's really just been a turn of the tides recently for this team that's seen them win anything. Yeah, and and, and look, Vancouver fans are very familiar with with Jacob Markstrom and you know early goals going in, and it, it's it's overstated I think at times, but they have found themselves on the wrong side early, and they've overturned all these games. I, I just wonder if there's a fatigue level that to that. And at some point, like you just can't fire back to overturn a, a deficit. And, you know, with three games to go, uh, will they be able to push this to the finish line? Yeah, 100% there's a, a deficit. You hear it in their voice in the locker room a lot post game of, you know, what happened in another one goal game. Well, mm-hmm. they just don't have the answer to that. And if they did, they, they would have changed it well before now at this point in the season. So, yeah, it, it is one of those things, too, where, and I'd, I'd add this too, Big, it's one of those things where, this isn't a team that's designed to come back in, in hockey games. I don't know, uh, you know, if you go up and down the roster, I know a lot of guys are underperforming this season, but even at their career best, this isn't a, a Daryl Sutter hockey-type team that would be okay, say, like the Edmonton Oilers would be going down a goal or two because there's three or four coming every night. That's just not how this team is built. So when you start those games down one nothing or 2 nothing, as it's been a couple of times, no doubt this team has had to play through a lot of mental fatigue and the fact that, you know, here we go again, we're going to need to get two or three, and some nights we can't get two or three. So what is this going to look like? We're five minutes into the hockey game and we're already behind the eight ball. Uh, it's definitely been something that's drained on them, and it's something that you can tell when the result went the other way for this group. They were really relieved that they didn't have to go through another 60 minutes like that. So over the course of 79 games, it, it look, it, 
playing this style of hockey can be tough and you get a bit downtrodden and it hasn't been the vibes haven't necessarily been good, which is why they've been a fascinating story. And look, we've seen the Huberto stuff and some guys aren't living up potential, all that sort of stuff. But now that they're here, like has the tone changed at all in the last three games to say, you know what, like the finish line's right there. We may as well compete and go for it from, from the player's point of view, like either in their body language, enthusiasm, tone of their voice, whatever. Has, has it changed at all in these last couple of games? You know what? I would say it has up until that Chicago loss. That was a really demoralizing one and one that they just – you can't have that happen. I know that the numbers are still good for this team despite that loss there, but it's too common a story for this group this year, Big, to use whatever hockey cliche you want, playing down to opponents, letting your opponent dictate the hockey team. Let's be honest, that the Chicago team that came in with the exception of a handful of guys – were the AHL equivalent of, of the Chicago Blackhawks. That's not a very good hockey team. Losing does not benefit them in any way, shape, or form. You can't come out into the third period in that game and let them blow the doors off you for five minutes and take a two-goal lead. I just said you're not a team that comes back in hockey games at the best of times. You can't have that sort of result come in there. And I think this team understood that that was a big slip-up for them and again, no one really had the answer as to why that's continuously happened this year. I, I believe it was our partner uh, out here in Calgary, Post Media, Wes Gilbertson, who asked, you know, Rasmus Anderson straight up, what is it about Chicago that gave you guys problems all year? He just shook his head and said, I have no idea. And that's not good enough if you want to be a playoff team. And more likely than not, if you're a team that can't beat playoff te- uh, non-playoff teams, you're probably a non-playoff team yourself. So I think this Flames team has certainly – improved the morale and given you a, a straight direction. Whereas three weeks ago, you would definitely have people on both sides of the fence saying, look, just play the young guys, go down the stretch and, and finish out this season. Now they've won enough where it's like, Hey, there's three games left. Might as well push towards the playoffs and see if you can get in with a hope and a prayer. Uh, that's kind of where it's been, but that Chicago one still kind of leans in there as a, a people, as a place where people can't really put both feet in, into this camp because it's hard to believe in this group after that loss. How much of uh, time have you been spent uh, analyzing the last three games in Vancouver, Nashville, San Jose versus Winnipeg schedule as well? Nashville, San Jose, Minnesota, Colorado. Okay. What are the projections looking like in Calgary that you look out and say, Hey, you know what? There's a chance they do this. Well, the fact of the matter is I think we've, we've taken a look at it a lot. The Winnipeg one was, you know, we didn't even start looking at games past that one because <laughs> everybody here knew if that didn't come out as two points, even if it came out in overtime, let's mm-hmm. be honest, the odds completely went against the Flames making the playoffs. So now, yeah, we've started to do the look-ahead thing. Uh, Vancouver's been the most interesting one for sure because that's a Pacific Division rival. You and me have talked about it on my show here on Sportsnet 960 that, you know, uh, the Vancouver Canucks have played some really good hockey of late, which has probably surprised some people. Um, we heard it in Calgary. Uh, we weren't overly happy with the result of – the way that ended last time last Friday in Vancouver with some of the results and some of the refereeing in that game. So, yeah, and if you're the Vancouver Canucks, I think that's the one that the Flames fans here are looking at the most and saying, who wants to play spoiler against you the most? And with all due respect to whatever San Jose is this year, um, I think it's no doubt your Pacific Division rivals in Vancouver, not San Jose. And it's kind of one of those things, Vic, where, as much as we'd like to look towards Nashville, I think this is a 24-hour cycle here in Calgary right now where we we can't go any further than the team can go because 
at this point, one loss pretty much cuts it off at the knees. So uh, right now it's been Vancouver has been the focus, and I think it's going to be uh, a big one for the Flames tomorrow. Talking to Logan Gordon, Sportsnet 960, Sportsnet Today host and Flames reporter. So what's been the biggest source of frustration uh, this season? Because there's obvious potential in this group, right? You just look at the lineup and you say, hey, look, there's a lot of really good players all the way stretched across this entire lineup. And, and yet it just hasn't really clicked. Is it – because, you know – I look at Daryl Sutter, and he's had so much success in this league. And to, to me, to be honest, like I'm a big fan of the way he plays. And yet, the the merging of talent doesn't necessarily fit the philosophy. And yet, you could argue the other way that maybe he's been too rigid in his style of play that he hasn't adapted to the players that he has. Yeah, it's it's a weird mix between coach and player here in Calgary, and uh, we thought a lot about what exactly has led to the the underperforming of of some key guys and. For a lot of it, it's, you know, a lot of people look, obviously, at Jonathan Huberto and go, this is going to be a historic drop in, in points per game for a guy going to a new team. It's It's been that bad for Jonathan Huberto. He has not found comfortable level here in Calgary. He hasn't found really consistent line mates where he's been able to produce his agent. Uh, I don't have to tell anybody in Vancouver about Alan Walsh and uh, what his antics lead to on Twitter. He's been involved in it and it just felt like there's always been some sort of stumbling block every way down this road this year. And it, whether it's been player chemistry coming together after what was in, in a lot of places here in Calgary, and, and it's us included, was you know underestimating how big of a change it was going to be for bringing these star players in and transitioning from the Goudreaux and the Kachucks to now, what does Kadri bring? Where does he fit? Where does Huberto come in? Where does he fit? There was definitely an underestimation of that, but I also think this coach had um, a feeling out process that maybe didn't go right, and, and Daryl Sutter's you know, not one to quickly own up to mistakes uh, on his end of things, and I think there have been some down the way, whether it becomes you know, those questions and the comments that we sometimes love in the media that don't always sit as well in the locker room, personnel decisions, and sometimes sticking to you know, wanting to have this certain combination of of players work together. I know going back to the preseason, one of the comments Daryl made about Jonathan was, uh, Jonathan Huberto, that is, was I, I need to find out if he's a Lindholm guy, if he's a Kadri guy, if he's a Backlund guy going down the top three centers for the Flames and seeing where he's fit. Well, we're, you just mentioned it. We're 79 games into the season here in Calgary. I couldn't tell you who uh, is a Jonathan Huberto guy at this point, and Part of that's on the coach because there's been so much transition for Jonathan that I have a hard time figuring out most times who he's been most comfortable playing with this year. So I think from the part of a veteran side of this team that came in and probably had too high expectations to a coach that, yeah, let's be honest, Daryl Sutter is a great hockey mind. There's no doubt about that. But some of the things that, you know, will always ail him as a coach, those, those hard and fast rules that he sets as a, as a player's coach and sometimes those rules that he sets big are, are just tough to get around for some guys. And uh, it's clearly hurt this team at times on, on Huberto. Like how much is that a two way street though? Right. Cause I mentioned, sorry, you mentioned the three centers. Obviously he's the new guy, but is there not some responsibility on the three centers to also adapt to him as well? And, and why it just hasn't worked so far this year. Is it solely on him or is that also some mitigating circumstances as well? Well, I, th- I think it's a bit of everything here. I think that 
one of the biggest points that's been brought up about Huberto here in Calgary, and it's you can use it as an excuse if you want, or uh, some haven't here in Calgary. You know, he would never want to leave Florida, right? This was uh, a case of a guy coming to Calgary and committing to Calgary because he got, you know, essentially booted off of a Florida Panthers team that won the, the President's Trophy last year. And part of that is going to be on the player to, you know, come in and adapt and make the best of your new situation. You're not a Panther anymore. Okay, guys get traded every offseason. It's time to to make it work here in Calgary. You have the richest contract in Flames history in your back pocket before playing a game with this franchise. Uh, You need to adapt. His uh, cohort coming over in the trade, Mackenzie Wieger, has done that and has done that incredibly well to the point of being one of the Flames' best players post-All-Star break here in Calgary. So, yeah, it has been a bit on Jonathan Huberto because, you know, one of the things that, that he's talked about and that all Alan Walsh has verbally mentioned on Twitter about, you know, a frustration level was that he wasn't playing on the left wing for a good stretch of the season. Well, look, I, I have no doubt that playing your offside in the NHL uh, for forwards and defensemen is a difficult task and it can certainly change up angles and approaches and all of that. But I, I never once for a second bought that this entire drop in Jonathan Huberto's overall play from a 115-point guy or whatever he was last year to this year was simply because Daryl Sutter was playing him on the, the right side. This is a guy that certainly needs to to up his game, but at the same time, I, I think a, a, a lack of trust in the foundation between him and the coach is still something that this team needs to figure out, not just in the last three games. That's probably not going to get figured out by then, but certainly when it plays into their offseason plans and what Hubert wants to be next year going forward. Hey, Logan, we appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll enjoy uh, the game tomorrow, and certainly in, in this city, uh, fans aren't going to be as on pins and needles as much as they will be in Calgary. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Thanks, Mick. Appreciate it, man. That's Logan Gordon from our friends over at 960, Sportsnet 960. Again, you can follow him on Twitter if you aren't already uh, over at Fan960Logan, host of Sportsnet Today and Calgary Flames reporter. That goes tomorrow. Let's uh, catch you up on what's happening today as well. Let's get to the Masters, the Masters leaderboard update. Brought to you by Maui Gym Sunglasses, born on the beaches of Hawaii. Maui Gym Sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. And for this update, it's not just it's not just an update where we read you the leaderboard and like, hey, this guy, two under. Running away with it at seven under. No, no, no. no. We go to Ben, who's going to break down shot by shot, styles of play, who's charging, what are they wearing, what's the fit, what's the gear. Let's go to Ben for the update. Shot by shot. (laughs) That might be a bit too much. Not two under running away with it. He's 12 under. Crushing it. Five under today, played in the early portion of the day. I should mention the Masters is in a weather delay right now. Mm hmm. And we'll resume play tomorrow morning. So rest of the day, done. Resume play tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time. Good chunk of the players, including Tiger Woods, uh, John Rahm, who currently sits in second at 9-under. And uh, play suspended, yeah. halfway done their round right now. So on Brooks, yes. played in the morning. Mm-hmm. How, how much of a difference was that if you were in the early session Massive. today? Yeah. If you had the tee times first round afternoon, second round morning, absolutely a huge benefit. You got sunny conditions. It's about 25 degrees today. 
wind started to pick up this afternoon a little bit. And if you were playing this afternoon, you caught the worst of it. You have to stop halfway. You got to go out there early tomorrow morning. That's tough. And so for Brooks, he's just licking his chops. He's going to sit back. He's going to be in the final group tomorrow afternoon. It's going to be wet. It's going to go from about 25 degrees down to 10 degrees. Really cold. Not good for Mr. Tiger Woods. But uh, Brooks Kepka looking very solid right now. So all weekend, it's going to be kind of miserable conditions? It's supposed to, in master's fashion, get nice and dry, maybe a bit sunny, Sunday afternoon. If the timing works out, the champion could be crowned in dry conditions. Interesting. All right. So it's okay. So then what happens in the next 30 holes, basically, is it just survive and wait for the the condition to pick up? It really is. And like guys out there are better at playing in rain than others. There are some good scores though, right? It's not like they're hitting at par right now. No, there are a lot of guys are going under par. A lot of guys are going deep. And with the rain is going to come softer conditions. You're going to see guys firing at pins. You're going to see guys really trying to play aggressive, knowing that the traditional Augusta-style golf course, which is dry and fast Mm -hmm. and can really mess people up around the greens, is going to be receptive. And so you'll see guys trying to take advantage of that. But the length on some of these holes may come into play. I think about the 11th hole, which is playing at 520 yards. That's a par 4. The length in 13th, par 5, which is now back to 545 yards. Guys are going to have decisions to make, especially moving into the weekend. If... uh, if they're in contention, they're going to have some serious big decisions to make of how they want to approach the golf course. Is there someone you're looking at that says, hey, they're prime for a weekend charge? Because, look, moving day is always a fun one Massive. At, at Augusta. It's tough to see right now because the second round hasn't finished yet. Right. A couple names, obviously Kepka and Rahm are at the top of the leaderboard. I'm looking at Colin Morikawa at six under par. Someone who's a very good iron and iron striker, really good ball striker. If he could take advantage of the receptive conditions, he could really post a low number on moving day. And then, of course, we can't do this update without mentioning Sam Bennett, the amateur, 23 years old out of Texas A&M. Not 18-year-old Sam Bennett, who's 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 playing for the Panthers right now. But Sam Bennett, the golfer, eight under par for the tournament, already done for the day today. He goes 68-68 in his first two rounds and is third place individually right now as an amateur Remarkable stuff. Top Canadian? Top Canadian is... Is it Hughes? It's Mackenzie Hughes who fired a 68 today to get himself back to even par. But he's four under on the day, pardon me. Mm -hmm. Just finished hole 13. Going to resume tomorrow morning. Now, one of the things that happened, the story of the day is not uh, what anyone shot. Nope. There were some good rounds again, as you said. Brooks went five under today? Five under. Yeah. The story of the day is... At 17, is, is that where it was? Yep, 17th tee box. You mentioned the windy conditions. It eventually led to a tree falling over. Can't believe it. I'll repeat that. Trees, uh. Trees, yes, multiple trees. A freaking tree fell over at Augusta. Unbelievable. And you see the video. First things first, no one got hurt. Okay? Somehow. Nobody got hurt, and it was a good point. I think James Duthie made it on Twitter. The The group that was playing, it wasn't the Tiger Woods group where thousands of people would be around the greens in between the tee boxes. Nobody got hurt. And a miracle that this that, – that we can talk about this and not talk about tragedy. We can even poke a little bit of fun at it because nobody running, got hurt. People running away. I'll, I'll give a big shout-out to all the people that avoided the tree. 
athletes. Hey, athletes, do you think if trees fallen down, anytime you see it in a cartoon, it's always Bugs Bunny like running alongside the tree and the bugs get squished. They all step to the side. Heads up play. Like situa- situational awareness. Literally plus heads one. up play. Yeah, literally heads up play. I've the images I've are never crazy. seen that. The roots are out, everything's completely destroyed. It's wild. Like I, I know trees fall down, and apparently they make noises too, because you can hear it on the broadcast. I've never seen Confirmed. that. Confirmed. Never seen that. No. In in my life have you ever seen anything <laughs> like that? Never. Scary, scary stuff over at Augusta. But, but Augusta, better than most, already on the cleanup crew. Oh yeah. Like just all, they've already cut it all up. They're like even in the best of times, Augusta's pristine conditions. Yeah. It's gonna be hilarious to look at it tomorrow and not even there was a tree here? It's like eight AM tea time. We're redoing the we're restarting the second. Imagine round. if it happened overnight. They'd still figure it out, probably. Right, but imagine teeing off at 8 o'clock. What happened? Like, hey, what's going on here? There's a tree did, in my lie. Did anybody hear it last night? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff with the Masters update. Enjoy it over the weekend, hanging out on the couch, watching uh, Brooks Kepka potentially run away uh, with the Masters. I'm out of here. Enjoy your weekend. I'll be back tomorrow with Sat, who's on the way with Dan Riccio here on Canuck Central, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.